These verses compose a poem that is part of a larger collection of wisdom sayings that contrast two ways of life. The first one is, life with God brings blessing. The power and vitality of God is active in our life. On the other hand, life without God brings a curse, the power of death. Our first reading is from Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmody for today is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. For Paul, the resurrection of Christ is the basis for Christian hope. Because Christ has been raised, those who are in Christ know that they too will be raised to a new life beyond death. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, its 15th chapter. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. When Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. He lifted up his eyes to his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The Gospel of our Lord. Sixth Sunday of after the Epiphany. We remember today to start off is that we've been in, a, in, an, in an unpacking as a, uh, a developing and a progression, if you will, a journey from the Epiphany of our Lord, which started with the wise men way back on January 6th, when, and, and it's progressed now for these weeks. And so we want to remember some of what we've, what we've gone through because it helps us understand what happened today. So on January 6th, remember the wise men found him. The Gentile world has now found God. The whole world is being exposed and has found their Lord. It's a gift to the whole world. And, and it happened on that first, we celebrated that on Epiphany, that everybody can find Jesus and has found Jesus. And they get to participate in God's salvation. The next Sunday, the first Sunday after the Epiphany, we remember Jesus' baptism. And on that baptism, heaven was opened. And in that place, we, we saw the Father and we saw the Son. We saw the Holy Spirit. They were three, but yet they were one. And in, in that mystery and in that gift, they, they were for us. We knew that God was for us. And, and the Father says, this is my Son. And I'm, he's my beloved and I'm pleased. And in our baptism, a similar theme. We are His children. He loves us. With us, He wants to be pleased. So then following the baptism of our Lord, we go to the second week after the Epiphany. And in there, it was somewhat of a radical change, but it really wasn't. 
Because it went from all about God, it went to God's family. That third Sunday, or that Sunday after the Epiphany, this one, Jesus goes to a town in Cana, and the very first miracle that he does in the book of John is he goes to a wedding place, and this family, they've run out. They have met their physical limitations. They met their financial limitations. They cannot keep the party going, the celebration of the wedding. And in there, God blesses. And in there, God provides. They were bankrupt and God was full. And he completely blesses them. He blesses their wedding. He blesses their celebration. Their water's turned into wine. The old ritual cleansing is being provided for now with the new blood of the covenant that they're going to get later on. It's a beautiful event. So again, epiphany of Gentiles, epiphany of his baptism. Now the epiphany of God for his family. He wants his family well and blessed. Then the next Sunday, the fourth Sunday now, we have him going to Nazareth. And that was an awkward epiphany because the epiphany of that one is Jesus shows up in his hometown. He's teaching. And the very first thing that happens is there's a demon in the synagogue. There's a demon in the house of God. Of all the places you find demons, yeah, maybe out in the world in all these you know, vile places, but in the church. But there was. And then also you found in there he had teaching. And there's teaching with Jesus is powerful. And at the end of that, we find in Nazareth that they reject him. Not only do they reject him, they want to take him outside the city and they want to kill him. They want to throw him off the ledge. Well, that's epiphany about the people. But what about God? The epiphany of God was, it's not about us. It's really not about the people of Nazareth because Jesus is going to love us regardless of us. Jesus is here to save us even if we don't know it. He's going to love and and continue his work as the Messiah regardless of their rejection. He won't quit. He never quits on us. So even if Nazareth, right here in the middle, is going to say no to him and reject him, he's going to go to the south, to the east, to the north, and to the west. He's going to surround them over the next three years, and he's going to keep healing people. And he's going to keep teaching. He's going to keep telling the demons to be quiet. And he will not rest until everybody gets a chance to hear. And maybe, just maybe, some of those folks in Nazareth will have a change of mind and change of heart, and they'll believe and they'll follow. Epiphany of God, he won't quit. Another one, we have two Capernaums, Capernaum 1, Capernaum 2. Capernaum 1 showed up in the synagogue. Again, he shows up in the synagogue, there's a demon. He removes the demon, he teaches. The next problem, he goes into the home and there's illness in Simon's home. And he heals that. The next place he goes into the community, there's illness and demons in the community. He is showing up in every place inside of our church, inside of our homes, and inside of our community because God wants to set us free. He wants us to have the full blessing of his life. He wants to have the the fullness of heaven as much as we have now and in perfection in the days to come. And that's what he came to do. And that's exactly what he did. He did that in Capernaum 1. Capernaum 2, now he's by the last week, we have him by the side of the sea. And while he's by the side of the sea, all these people are following. They found out he's there and they've gone to him. The challenge is, is that he can't, he can't be heard. So he gets in a boat and he goes just off ashore. Now he's got his amphitheater. Well, he's got his auditorium there and he can speak and they, he can teach. And that's all going well. And then there's a miracle. He tells Peter, I know you fished all night. You didn't catch a thing all night. And you probably were fishing right out there. And there wasn't a single fish in your net all night. Not one fish. But let's go sit out there in the water where you never ever find fish and you're going to throw your nets off this side and we'll see what happens. And what happens is they caught so many fish it sank their boats. I mean, his boat was sinking. He calls out more boats. They're filling their boats with fish. That was a miracle. 
The greatest miracle in that story was not about the fish, because God can make that happen anytime He wants to. The greatest miracle isn't about the teaching, because Jesus came to teach. He came to love. He came to show us the way. The greatest miracle is that the people would follow. And on that day, he didn't even call. Remember? I had you look for that word. Look for the word call in that lesson. It wasn't there. Jesus never called them. They just went. They recognized who Jesus was. They saw what Jesus was about. And they overwhelmed him with his, his blessedness, if you will. And they just left. They left their families. They left their houses. They left this million-dollar catch. And they just went with Jesus. That was the miracle. That's all led up to today. All this story of Epiphany. We'll remember it every week. It led up today. Now what happened today? Before today's Bible lesson, he was on top of the hill and he was praying. It's been busy. It's been a lot of work. A lot of going out. Right? And, and, and maybe Jesus just needed some God time. Maybe he just needed some father and son time. Some family time. And so he goes to the top of the mountain and he prays. And I think in the Bible lesson, we didn't read it, but it was in there. He prayed all night. He was on the top of the mountain just talking to his father and communing with his father and praying with his father all night. And the next day, he goes down. Now, he chooses the 12. He names the 12. And then after naming the 12, he goes right into the crowds because this crowd is special. It's bigger than ever before. Yes, you had the folks from around Nazareth and Capernaum. You had the folks in Judea there. You have all the city folks coming out. And you have, even in those city folks, the ones who are just there to scrutinize and to pick on and to, to judge his words, to find some sort of flaw so they can get after him and get him arrested and removed. All that came out of the city. But on top of this, we also now have Roman, Greek, Syrian folks coming down into this holy land where Jesus is at from Tyre and Sidon, from real far away. They had to walk days to get there. This crowd is a multitude. And this multitude has found him. So he came down from the mountain. And this is we've seen a multitude from all these places. Jews and Gentiles. Not people that don't even know a lick about who God the Father is. They're there because they've heard about Jesus and they want to see the Jesus show. Or they want to, they want to get someone healed that they know that's been hurting and sick or um, possessed. Something's going on in their world. So something draws them. And Jesus has that effect. Jesus, through himself and through his church, he wants to draw all people in. And on this day, they're there, symbolic of all of them. And it's, it's, it's almost reckless what he's doing. He's just giving out his power to anybody who would come by even close. You know, like they just, they just wanted to touch like the robe. It's almost like going by. If I can just fight my way through the crowd this much that I can just touch him on the shoulder, I'm okay because I believe that he's got that kind of a power. And that's what he do. The people in the crowd just go by and they're just trying to get a touch of him. And everyone who puts a touch on Jesus, they're, they're finding the power of God and they're being healed. He's not finding out whether they love God. He's not finding out whether they're nice as husbands and wives or as children. He's not asking them questions of whether they're striving for holiness. He's just recklessly loving people. Indiscriminate giving away of his healing and his gifts. It says everybody, all who were there were healed. This is a multitude. This is a multitude. So for us as a church, how does that impact us? Is how we give. How does that impact us as husbands and wives and as parents? How we give. 
Jesus gave indiscriminately just because he loved. Now from there, when that's kind of coming to a place where there's an opportunity, Jesus now looks and he finds the 12 that he's called out. He looks to the insiders. And for us, he looks to us, we're his church. And so now today, these words aren't just to the crowd, aren't to the world, and however big it were. These words today are to us personally and individually with love. The Beatitudes. When Jesus describes a person who is blessed, and there's four parts to the blessing in, in Luke's gospel, four parts. When he described the person that was blessed, when he's described that, and I was reading it from the Bible when we were going through it right there, when you heard those words, did you think in your mind, in your heart, that Jesus was describing you? Don't answer, just think about it. When you were listening to the Beatitudes, the blessed ones, did you think that Jesus was speaking of you? When Jesus is describing the people who are blessed, would the people around you describe you the way Jesus says is blessed? Like I said, this one gets personal. Jesus is trying to cut through the shallow, cheap talk. He's surrounded by multitudes who have just, as I said, experienced the Jesus show. They've just witnessed power and teaching and benefited by his love. And now he is personally, specifically speaking to his 12 or the church. And he's speaking to them about the reflections that they're going to have and the reality that they have. Are they going to be godlike or not? And he's asking them questions. Not really questions, he's giving statements. Now, before we go further, this is not a how to become a Christian lesson. The Beatitudes are not a five-step program of how you get Jesus and get saved. It's not about that kind of language. It's not do this and get that. There's no works righteousness involved with this. It's not about that. What it's about is it's about a blessed life and what it looks like. And he's trying to teach his closest 12 and prepare them because the day comes he's not going to be with them. So he's preparing them. Guys, gals, this is what a blessed life looks like. It's not a 12-step program. It's a blessed life. Here are the distinguishing characteristics then of being a Christ follower, of being a disciple. The first one he gave us, poor. When you look upon... All that is Jesus. And then you look upon yourself. Do you see yourself as poor? When you look upon the beauty that Jesus is, when you look upon the, the extravagance of his love and the extravagance of his life, when you look upon how that's reflected in just reckless giving away because he just loves that much, do you see yourself as poor? Because you don't love, you don't have that much to give. Are you, are you wanting to be more like him? Are you wanting to have more of what Jesus has? If Jesus has all that is heaven and has all that is good and is God, do you see yourself as impoverished and wanting more? Because if you have that, if he's touched you and if he's marking you with you, that is a place of blessedness. That is a good thing. Because with that, you can receive. In that place, you're blessed because you've recognized the need and he wants to give. 
That's a blessed place to realize you're that poor because God is that rich and he wants to give it away. And then the next one, it lead, one leads into the other and into the other. So the next one is hungry. When you look upon all that is Jesus, do you experience a hunger to be or want more of what Jesus is? Do you have a hunger to be more like how God purposed you and created you to be? Does, does seeing him inspire you to say, wow, I want to be a champion like him? I want to have peace and health and wholeness like him so that I can give it away. So that God can use me to be a blessing to everyone around me. Do you hunger for more of what Jesus has because you just want to give it away? That's going on. And you're blessed if you have that hunger for the Lord. Because he will absolutely give you. He will fill you. You might be empty in the world, but you can be full of the goodness of God. And then the next one, the third one, and there was mourning. When you look upon all that is Jesus... And you feel it. You're just not fabricating it. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to feel sorry for my sins. And yeah, I kind of put on a little somber face when I say the things. But really, I'm thinking about my golf game or my fishing game or my hunting and my work and my job, whatever. No, mourn. When you look upon Jesus, is there a sadness in you and a longing in you that you're not who he's called you to be? And it hurts you because you don't want to be that anymore. You don't want to have that weakness. You don't want to have that addiction. You don't want to have that, that craving and sinful peace to your life. And you, you just, you, you're sad for what that is. And you just want out. You want freedom from that. You, you want to be healed from that mourning. Because if you feel that, you're blessed. Because God absolutely wants to give you those things. He wants to set us free from the sins. He wants to set us free from our addictions. He wants to give us the things that make us fully alive and we'll rid ourselves of the other things. If we're mourning because of who we are and we're clinging for something that's in front of us, we're blessed. God will provide. And the fourth piece was persecution. The world looks upon you and if they see Jesus, they're going to come after you. They'll find some way. It'll be a little dig here. It'll be a little dig there. It'll be a little word here. It'll be a little behavior there. Devil is, is relentless. He will use the people in the world to wreck the people of God. And sometimes it even happens inside the church. The devil will use people inside the church to wreck the people inside the church. Because the first three characteristics in your life, a, a sense of poverty and seeking for God's riches, a sense of hunger and a sense of wanting to be satisfied in Jesus, mourning who your sinful self is and begging and finding kneeling at the cross. When those three things are fully going on in your world and you're striving for that, know that you're going to be noticed, you're going to be recognized, and you'll probably be persecuted for it. You will be tempted, you'll be opposed, and you'll be hindered and hurt. That's just how it works. And you're blessed when that happens because you still have the first three and you still have the fullness of the blessing of those first three and it doesn't matter what the world brings at you because you have the first three you can lose everything here and have the most cursed physical existence and you can be lit up like and it's comforting and or it's uncomfortable to think yeah, you're, it's good it's your poverty and your hunger and your mourning for more of God Jesus takes those 12 and he looks at them face to face and he looks at us today 
And when the world sees us, do they get a good glimpse of Jesus? Do they get a good glimpse of what a Jesus follower is to be? God loves enough to say he's told us the truth today. That there's life with him. There's life in heaven with him. And, and there is a life course and there is a reflection. Just as the kids were able to reflect upon what a horse and an eagle and everything else looks like, there's a life reflection of a Christ follower. God help us. God help us. To one, know who Jesus is. And then the second thing on the Beatitudes, God help us with the blessedness that in our poverty we will seek more of him. In our hunger we will find him. We will mourn our, our sinfulness, but yet we'll be lifted up and forgiven in him. And who cares if we're persecuted? We know Jesus and we're making him known. God help us be that church. Amen. We'll stand, we'll sing the hymn of the day. Let us declare our faith, our faith, and we will use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. To God who welcomes all in love, let us pray for the good of the church and the concerns of those in need, that many come in repentance and faith to receive your blessings. Guide us in the ways of your love and forgiveness. Empower us in ministry and service to you, Lord. In your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask your blessing on this assembly of believers. For newcomers, visitors, longtime members gathered together, bless the hearing of your word and fellowship. Lord, for those who are absent from us today, we miss them. We ask that your Holy Spirit work in their hearts and that you guide them back home. Root each of us deeply in your word and increase our faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, you call us by your word and gather us by your Holy Spirit before this altar. Grant to us faithfulness that we may receive the sacrament and be transformed to be more Christ-like. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we rejoice today with those who are celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, or other joyful events. We also give thanks for answered prayers for the successful medical treatment and safe return home of Jeff Jones and Lori. Continue to grant Jeff strength and healing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Blessed Father, be with the sick, the hospitalized, the aged, the dying, and those troubled in mind or heart. Today we remember Mary, Bob, Austin and Maxine, Lori, Gloria, Anne, Betty, 
We pray for peace and comfort for Richard, David, and Deborah Frank and other family and friends as they mourn the passing of wife, mother, and our sister Barbara. We pray for Ashley, granddaughter of Lee and Joyce Carlson, Kaysen Davidson, and Devilee as they mourn the death of husband and father Chris, and those we name in our hearts. Help them know and feel your presence and peace. Grant them healing and relief according to your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Blessed Savior, you have made your church to be the home of all people. You have called each of us to be your disciples, to know Jesus and to make him known. Help Emmanuel Lutheran be the hands and feet of God in northwest Arkansas. Put the name and face of someone that needs us this week in our heart and mind. Help us to reach out to them in love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in addition to the prayers that we have spoken, we know that you know the thoughts of our hearts. We entrust those and all of our prayers to your abiding love. This in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.